We are Crossroads Grace Church. Our purpose is to lead people to discover Jesus and follow Him fully. This week's message is taught by our teaching pastor, Brian Hunt. From wherever you're listening, we hope that you are challenged and encouraged by this week's message. All right, let's double. Hey, all right, now we're rocking. Yeah, good morning, everybody. Good morning online. Good to see you guys. So glad that you're here with us. My name is Brian. I'm the lead pastor here. Grateful you tune in, either if you're in your PJs right now or those that are joining us live in their PJs. Man, super glad that you're with us this morning. And uh, it's going to be a good day. It's going to be a good day. And uh, they talked about it just a second ago. But next weekend, we're getting closer and closer to being full steam. August 2nd with our kids, City is going to be back and running and rocking and rolling, Route 56. And so super excited about that. If you're considering being a part of that, you can get more information online. And then I just want to say something right up front, and this isn't in the script, this isn't even anything that we've talked about, but I just want to say thank you. Thank you for being the church that you are, being willing to be flexible, being willing to try different things, being willing to, 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 to sit in a parking lot, to sit in your homes, whatever it takes to be able to hear Jesus. And then also thank you for being generous. Thank you for being a church that just believes in the mission here. And I cannot thank you enough on behalf of all of our staff and the mission that we have here for your generosity. And I just know that we're going to be a church that will continue that. So thank you, thank you, thank you so much. Because we're in a series that's called Uncharted. It's looking at the uncharted world that we're venturing back into uh, kind of post-COVID pandemic and wondering, okay, what's this world going to look like? And so for the past couple of weeks, we've been looking at that. But I believe that this week might be one of the most important weeks that we discuss. And I'll start off by asking you to see if you can relate to something that I feel a lot of times. And, and, And the first is that I've always found that when I'm tired out of shape and eating terrible, I generally see the world more terribly. You know what I mean? Like, I, I, and, and the thought process usually goes something like this, that I, I feel bad about myself, and so therefore I feel bad about my surroundings, which makes me then lash out at those people that are around me. Then I feel guilty, and then I feel even worse than I had when I began the whole process. Can anyone else relate to that at all today, right? You ever been there before? And, and here's the thing, how we feel oftentimes will affect how we act. How we feel will oftentimes affect how we act. And, and if that's true, if you're nodding to yourself and saying, yeah, that, that's, that's pretty much true, isn't it amazing how our health is so under-discussed in our society? So under-discussed. Sure, sure, we love to be able to think about all those diets that'll make us skinny overnight or, or, or drink enough drinks that'll make us have the energy of a bull somehow. You know, we'll talk all about that. But as a long-term conversation, it's normally not top of mind. We actually look past our health in so many different ways. But we have to consider this. Take, for instance, the general health of our population. 1.9 billion people are considered obese in our world. Obesity is the biggest risk factor for cardiovascular disease, which kills a person every 37 seconds in the United States for a total of 647,000 people that die each year of that. Less than 5% of adults participate in 30 minutes of physical activity on a daily basis. And one out of three children, only one out of three children, are actually physically active in some way every day. But what about our mental health? What about our mental health? One in four people in the world will be affected by mental or neurological disorders at some point in their life. 450 million people suffer from mental illness. And mental illness is the leading cause of illness, health, or ill health and disability worldwide. However, we often ignore these staggering statistics, especially when crisis hits. 
Because when a challenge hits, all of a sudden we start to look at our lives differently and we triage our life differently and we, we shove our health farther and farther down the priority list. Which is why, because of COVID, our mental health and our physical health is declining at a rapid rate. And of course, we all joke about the COVID-19 that everyone is going to be gaining, you know, and clearly that's related to some anxiety that's there. But it's also a great excuse to support local businesses like Mr. T's Donuts. Like, I get it. I understand. There's a reason. But, but, but think about it. As gyms closed and push-up challenges became less and less cool, people became less active. Netflix, Hulu, YouTube, Disney Plus, they became our friends when uh, we couldn't actually see our real friends. Yet not even Hamilton and Friends and Dude Perfect and Mariah Elizabeth could help us overcome these feelings of depression and anxiety that we began to feel. And after the newness of all that extra time that we had that kind of wore off, we just were left to sit and think and wonder about what life was going to be like. And, and for some, this could be a great thing. I know for me, it's been a deep reflection with God that I've absolutely loved. The Bible has come alive in such new and amazing ways to me. I've connected with my wife and my kids in ways that I never have before had this not happened. But in the very same breath, I know that I struggle with in ways too. I, I've never led through a pandemic. I know it's shocking, but I've never led through a pandemic. It's really hard when every day you come to, it's a blank page. Every day is a blank page. And when those feelings hit, man, it could be heavy. It could be kind of a looming feeling. And I know I'm not alone. I know for many of you, this has been a very, very hard time, especially for our single friends. They, they've told me that the walls literally seem to be coming in on them some days, and it's really hard to process. But anxiety and depression, they were also seen and continue to be seen in our frontline workers. Just as an example, in New York and Seattle and Chicago, doctors and nurses were sometimes faced with the decision of who lives and who dies based on the equipment that was available to them. They couldn't imagine the toll that that would take on someone's conscience as they had to do that. One such story of this is from a lady by the name of Dr. Lorna Breen, one of the top New York emergency room doctors in the entire country. When she graduated from medical school, she decided to have both an emergency and an internal medicine residency, even though it was going to take longer. On top of that, she took up snowboarding, learned how to play the cello, she learned to salsa dance, and she became a runner. It was actually one of these runs on a half marathon that she realized she had difficulty breathing, but she finished the race, went to the hospital, then diagnosed herself with a pulmonary emboli, which was going to possibly kill her. It was a blood clot in her lung. She was tough. In addition to managing a busy emergency room department, she was actually getting a dual master's degree from Cornell University. So Dr. Brink, she was gifted, she was confident, she was clever, she was unflappable. But when COVID hit, she spent weeks contending with the virus, most personally, she had it, and then also with the patients that flooded her hospital. Some of those patients died before they were even removed from the ambulances. My friend, she had no history of mental illness prior to COVID. But the stress of the pandemic saw her committed to two separate psychiatric wards for very short stints until on April 26, 2020, she took her own life. She left no suicide note, but just the remains of a life tattered by being on the front lines of this fight and not being able to do anything to change it. So the effects of COVID, they've affected all areas of our society deeply, including our health. Nearly half of Americans they will report that the coronavirus has been harming their mental health, according to the Kaiser Family Research Foundation. 
a, a, a federal emergency hotline for people with emotional distress saw a thousand percent increase in April year over year. Online therapy company called Talkspace reported a 65% jump in clients from mid-February, almost all coming from COVID. And surprisingly enough, this, the, the age group that has been affected has not been our older population, which many of us thought. It's actually been those between the ages of 20 and 30, more specifically the single population, where reminders of being alone are felt on a daily basis. Everywhere we go, we are bombarded with job loss and health scares and the unknown world that is all around us. So it becomes easy to see why this new uncharted world could be a little bit hard to process. And, and this is why we need the comfort and we need the peace of God more than ever before. One of my favorite stories in the Bible actually reminds me of that. It's found in 1 Kings chapter 19. So if you have your Bibles with you online or maybe your Crossroads Grace apps, you want to open them. Those chat hosts are going to put a link in there for you right now to be able to get to 1 Kings chapter 19. And as you get there, the story that we're going to be getting to involves the prophet Elijah. And where we pick up is immediately following this major victory he had on a place called Mount Carmel. This, this epic moment where God defeats the pagan god Baal. And then Elijah kind of follows up and he destroys all the pagan priests with a sword. I mean, it's an epic moment of God showing off in these huge, huge, big time ways. But where we pick up today, we find ourselves in the after, aftermath of all of that. And so let's pick up 1 Kings chapter 19, look at verse 1. It says, Now Ahab told Jezebel everything Elijah had done and how he had killed all the prophets with the sword. So Jezebel sent a messenger to Elijah to say, May the gods deal with me, be it ever so severely, if by this time tomorrow I do not make your life like that of one of them. So talk about like a mountaintop moment to a valley moment in a matter of seconds. Elijah went from killing it to having someone want to kill him. Like that's amazing. But can we all just agree that this is kind of exactly the way that we feel right now? Maybe not the whole somebody trying to kill you kind of thing, you know, but, but we all are going through victory to valley almost in every day. Every time we turn around, there is something new happening, something closing, something opening, something being learned at a distance, new regulations being put in, and there is always something happening every day. We, we go from highs to lows so quickly that it can be hard to ride that roller coaster of emotion that come with it. It feels like your stomach's in your throat almost every day. You can almost feel that. That's what happened with Elijah. He defeats all the priests of Baal in this epic display by God, including lightning bolts from heaven. How cool is that? All of his enemies are gone. And now word gets back to this crazy queen, and she says, you know what, I'm going to vow to kill you, Elijah. This is what's going to happen. And then you might sit back and you might say, well, listen, if God can shoot lightning bolts from heaven, then what does he have to worry about? That's a pretty good thing to have on your side. But we all have this tendency to be like Elijah. We so often forget all that God has done before, almost immediately when a new challenge comes. And all we can do is think about the stress in the moment, which is why we can relate to what Elijah does next. Take a look at verse 3. Verse 3 says, Elijah was afraid and ran for his life. When he came to Beersheba in Judah, he left his servant there. While he himself went a day's journey into the wilderness, he came to a broom bush, sat down under it, and prayed that he might die. I've had enough, Lord, he said. Take my life. I'm no better than my ancestors. 
Then he lay down under the bush and fell asleep. Elijah runs from his problems. He runs until he can't run any further and he collapse under, collapses under a broom bush tree. And, and while you might be tempted to see that as a sign of, of a lack of faith or of even weakness, you would be so wrong. Because it is actually here under the broom bush that we begin to unravel the uncharted health in this brand new world that we're in. Through the realness and the rawness of Elijah's journey, we get to see how we can journey ourselves to a better health and how that could be accomplished. Which is why for the remainder of our time, what I want to do is I want to give us four R's of restoring our uncharted mental health. The four R's of, of restoring our uncharted mental health. And before I even give you any R, I want to be really, really clear on something. This message today is not going to say anything against taking medication, seeing a counselor, or any other mental care that might be available. This is not a message that says, stop all that stuff, just believe in, and have faith and believe in Jesus, you're going to be fine. Not at all. I believe in medicine. I'm married to someone in medicine, okay? Like, I, I get that. I believe in Christian counseling. I see them as part of God's common grace, that it's a gift to us to be able to help us in this life. But I believe that we must also allow God into our mental health. This is very important. And I think today you will see how God desperately wants to do that. So what I want to do is dive into our first R, which is actually found in something that we just read. The very first R that we see to restore our mental health is to rest. The first thing that Elijah does on the road to recovery is rest. He is emotionally, spiritually, physically exhausted. And God knows that he needs something more than anything else. In that moment, he knows he needs rest. And guys, that's not a COVID thing. That's not a job loss thing. That's not even a failing health thing. We have to keep in mind that our bodies were designed from the very beginning to rest all the time. If we push our bodies too far, they're going to start to break down both mentally and physically, which is why God designed us to rest, to reset. Guys, I'll say it again. I'm not saying anything against medication. Don't hear me wrong. But I do think a medicine that we all need to take is a three-letter word called a nap. Okay, does anybody, anybody need a nap here at all today, right? Parents at all online, give me an amen if you can hear that. Whether they are old or young, you need a nap, baby. We need to rest because I think we all know that we are at our best when we rest. We are at our best when we rest. When we are rested, don't we think clearer? We act differently. We react differently. We even feel better when we rest. So the first action we need to take in our, going into our uncharted mental health is to rest. Give yourself permission to rest. But what would happen to Elijah after that nap under a broom bush, you might ask? Well, let's take a look. Look in verse 5. Verse 5 says this. All at once an angel touched him and said, get up and eat. He looked around and there by his head was some bread baked over hot coals and a jar of water. He ate and drank and they lay down again. The angel of the Lord came back a second time and touched him and said, get up and eat for the journey is too much for you. Now, I don't know why, but when I read this, I just feel like Elijah woke up to the smell of bacon. You know what I mean? Like, I, like who wouldn't want to wake up from a good nap to the smell of bacon made by an angel, right? I'm in. I am totally in every day. I would love that every day. 
But the first thing that God does for Elijah is he doesn't lecture him. He feeds him. He knows he needs rest and he needs food, which is what our second R is all about, is that we need to recharge. We rest and then we also recharge, just as God designed it to be. He said, I need you to rest, but he also designed us to eat. Can I get an amen that we have a God that lets us eat some food up in here, right? Oh, my goodness. Could have recharged us anyway, but he chose to give us steak and he chose to give us, oh, my goodness gracious, I could go on all day, right? He let us eat. And when we don't eat good and we don't sleep good, that is a recipe for more than being hangry. It is a recipe for mental disaster. We must recharge and eat well. So I would honestly ask ourselves this. What are we putting into our bodies? Listen, and if it isn't good, how can we expect anything good to come out of it? And this is not where I stand up in front of you and endorse some great diet tip that I've got for you. No, 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 not at all. But what I would tell you is this. Check your diet. Check your exercise. See how you're resting, especially if you want to find a way to journey through your uncharted mental health. Let's dive back in. Look at verse 8. Verse 8 says this. It says, so he got up and ate and drank, strengthened by the food. He traveled 40 days and 40 nights until he reached Horeb, the mountain of God. There he went into a cave and spent the night. So Elijah, recharged by angel food, got a good rest in. He gets up and he travels. Spends 40 days and 40 nights, travels from Beersheba to a place known as Mount Horeb, the top of a mountain where he collapses and he falls asleep. Now, now why he traveled to this specific mountain is going to be important here in just a second. But regardless, he gets there and he continues to rest, which actually brings up an important point to discuss, really important point to consider today. These R's are not necessarily linear. They're not necessarily linear. Sometimes you will need to double back to rest and come back to recharge several times in order to get your strength back. And that is okay. It's totally okay. But this next part of Elijah's restoration is really, really critical to process through as we seek to navigate our uncharted health. Look what we see says in verse 9. Verse 9 says this, And the word of the Lord came to him. What are you doing here, Elijah? He replied, I have been very zealous for the Lord God Almighty. The Israelites have rejected your covenant, torn down your altars, and put your prophets to death with a sword. I'm the only one left. And now they're trying to kill me too. God asks Elijah, he says, um, like, what are, you, what are you doing here, buddy? Like, seriously, man, you're a long way from home. Elijah had traveled a long way from where he was supposed to be. The last time God and Elijah had connected was on a mountain called Mount Carmel, completely different mountain altogether, 260 miles away from where he was at right now. Mount Carmel to, to, uh, Mount, to, to Mount Horeb, 260 miles. So God says, whoa, time out. Elijah, hang on. Why are you here? Why are you here? But can I just take us from the mountain to our living room, to our parking lot today for a second? I'm wondering if God is asking us the very same thing right now. I'm wondering that in our worry, in our anxiety, in our fear, in our negativity, God is asking us, why are you here? Why are you thinking this way? Why are you 260 miles away from the healthy place that I want you to be at? Because we travel some dark roads, don't we? Dark roads. Especially when these really hard times of COVID 
hit, where we're left just to think and think and think on our own. And then, of course, we try to look on the news and Facebook like that's going to make it any better, right? You know what I'm saying, right? And when these things happen, man, they're unsettling. And so what do we do? We stew on them. We worry about them. We sit up late at night thinking about them, which causes us to drift further and further away from what we know is true. We see this in Elijah, uh, because consider what Elijah just said. He just said that, I've been very zealous for the Lord, he says. He says, I've seen all your prophets are being put to death by the sword. He says that I'm the only one left, and now they're coming for me. Now, here's the thing. Here's the thing about what he said. It's only partly true. But the problem is, is that he believed that it was all true. Yes, he is zealous for the Lord. He's a prophet of the Lord, but he is not the only one left. He's drifting from the truth, and he knows it too. Why? Because before this whole Mount Carmel moment that he had with the lightning bolts and Baal and all that stuff, he was actually with his prophet buddy named Obadiah doing ministry. You can go back and read it in 1 Kings. And he also knows that it wasn't just those two. There's about 100 or so more prophets that were tucked in mountains doing ministry as he was speaking right then. So what did Elijah do? Elijah inflated all these things to make himself seem more righteous than he was, more alone than he actually was, that no one knows what he's going through. And he was more of a martyr than he really was. And the cherry on top of this guilt Sunday is the mountain that he is standing on, Mount Horeb. It's known as Mount Sinai. You might have heard of that mountain before because that's the mountain where God spoke to Moses and gave him the Ten Commandments. So Elijah is on this mountain because he's thinking, I'm just like Moses. I'm just like Moses. He inflated how big his problem was to the size of Moses, what he had to deal with. He says, there's only one person that knows what I'm going through. I got to go to Mount Horeb so me and Moses, we can hang out. He worked himself up so much that he had lost sight of who he was and what the calling was on his life. Gang, I think this is really important for us to understand. When we let our minds wander, wander away from focusing on the truth of God, sometimes we can hyperinflate things in our life and make them bigger than they actually are. Please don't misunderstand me. I am not saying that what you're going through is not real. I'm not saying that at all. You need to understand that. But what I am saying is that if we aren't careful, we could take something small and we could make it major in our heads. And that could cause all kinds of problems in our mental health. (laughs) I love this story. My wife is so kind to let me use it. I use it fairly often. But I remember this time when Aniston was younger. uh, And she had come in from outside. Or I can't remember exactly how it happened. But she's like, Brian, Brian. My wife says, Brian, Brian, come over here. Come here. So I came over. She goes, look at this. It's a red dot on Aniston's arm. Yeah, oh my goodness, uh, yeah, yeah. And she says, oh my goodness, if it's a red dot, it might be cancer. If it's cancer, if it's in her skin. If it's in her skin, it's in her bone. It's in her bone, they're going to have to amputate her arm. Brian, we're going to have to amputate Aniston's arm. And I said, wait, wait. It's just Kool-Aid, right? Okay. So we went from red dot to amputation like that. That's how quickly in our minds we could take something and make it so big. And if you do that, what you're having to do is you're trying to deal with the real problem and the hyperinflated problem that isn't real at the very same time, and that is so exhausting. We can feel overwhelmed, even physically ill, because we have somehow made a hard situation even harder by adding things to it that don't exist. But I love what God says in response to Elijah's stressed out state. 
Look what he says in verse 11. The Lord said, go out, stand on the mountain in the presence of the Lord, for the Lord is about to pass by. He doesn't yell, doesn't criticize, doesn't call him crazy. He just says, hey, come here. Stand in my presence. And I want us all to hear that today, that God desires for us not to run from him, but to come near to him, to stand in his presence. And notice the tact and the gentleness, actually, that God takes with Elijah as he stands in his presence. Look at verse 11. It says, Then a great and powerful wind tore the mountains apart and shattered the rocks before the Lord, but the Lord was not in the wind. After the wind, there was an earthquake, but the Lord was not in the earthquake. After the earthquake came a fire, but the Lord was not in the fire. And after the fire came a gentle whisper. When Elijah heard it, he pulled his cloak over his face and went out and stood at the mouth of the cave. God chooses to speak to Elijah, not with wind or an earthquake or in fire, but with a gentle whisper. It's a whisper. Because let's face it, when we are in the middle of a season of stress and anxiety and fear and worry, a God that tries to speak to us through wind, fire, and earthquake does not calm us down. It's only going to stir things up more inside us, right? So God speaks gently to Elijah in a whisper, which shows two really important things, really cool things about God. The first is this. It shows us that he has a heart to comfort us in our distress. That God doesn't say, rub some dirt on it, buck up buttercup and get moving. No, no, he comforts us in our distress. That's the first thing. But something really cool that you might have noticed is that it also shows that he demonstrates how he chooses to restrain his power. God is all of those things. Wind, fire, earthquake, all of those things. But he chooses to restrain that part of who he is to meet us right where we're at. God loves us. God cares for us. And sometimes in the middle of a chaotic moment of life, we forget that. We forget that, don't we? We are very quick to see God as too busy, absent, or somehow angry. And when we think of him that way, that's when we feel the wind and the fire and the earthquake kind of jostle our souls and we stop thinking about the right things. Paul urges us to, as believers in Jesus to think differently. He tells us in Philippians chapter 4, verse 8, he says, Finally, brothers and sisters, whatever is true, whatever is noble, whatever is right, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is admirable, if anything is excellent or praiseworthy, think about such things, he says. This is what we're supposed to be thinking about. But in these uncharted times, it can be really, really hard. Guys, I'm not immune to this either. I mean, I have felt this very, very recently. Past couple of weeks, I have felt the weight of leadership so much more than I have ever had possibly in my entire life. 
People that think that we should be should have entered the building to er, enter the building earlier, only to then re-enter the building and then have to re-exit the building the very next week, doing whatever we needed to do in order to have a service right here in this parking lot, including saying we're to tear down all the trees so people have a better sight line, only to have people um, tell us that we were crazy and get mad at us when they saw pictures of people cutting them down, said that they were smiling too much, and so they got mad about that. Only having to try, you think I'm joking, this is real life for me, okay? No joke. Trying to lead a fantastic staff from a distance, only realizing that as you're farther apart, the more distant that you become. Losing staff to other states and other callings, then trying to help and lead people that were hurt by those folks moving on. Trying to be a voice of reconciliation in the middle of a, of a racial tense world. Keeping a church united during times where we are so fragmented. Uh, keeping a church together, trying to unite us together. Trying to be a great daddy to two kids and the husband to a great wife as she goes off every day to fight on the front lines of this thing. Leading in a time that no matter what you do, you will always make a bunch of people mad. And trying to ensure that we remain financially stable to be able to continue to do ministry, to lead people to discover Jesus and follow him fully. Seeing people hurt in hospitals, friends of mine that I can't even go and see because of the times that we're in. And all of that and so much more bops around in my head and it feels like a million pounds of weight on me. I felt heavy. Just last week I stood in my office after the Thursday night service, and I felt just like Elijah. I literally asked myself, seriously, am I the right guy for this job? God, am I the one that should be leading, or maybe there's somebody else? Can I trust anyone? Or am I on my own in this thing? And listen, I know you don't want to hear that from the guy that stands up here and wants to encourage you, but you just need to know that that's the real, honest, ugly truth. I was a mental mess. I wanted to cry, but I couldn't because the emotions I felt didn't even feel tear appropriate. Have you ever felt that way before? And, and I felt in that moment that I could easily become hard and calloused and indecisive and even indignant. Very easily, all of those things could have happened. Guys, I, I needed God to whisper. I needed to stand in the presence of God. I needed something that only God could give me. Because what God does in the whisper is actually the third R in restoring our uncharted health. And that is, He allows us to revive. To revive. To rest, to recharge, and revive. The only thing that will revive our mind, our body, and our soul completely is when we allow God in and He invites us to stand in His presence. And when He whispers this truth to us, we know who we are in him. When the lies of, of Satan's shouts into our uncharted life is hushed by the whisper of God himself, God will revive you right where you're at. He will replace the narrative that Satan is trying to feed you with the true story of who you really are. God revives Elijah on a mountain that he should not have been on, telling a narrative to himself that wasn't true. And in the middle of the confusion of his heart, God revives him with his spirit. And God will do that for you too, right where you're at, right in the middle of your feelings, right in your confusion. God can revive your soul. But what's next? I mean, once God finishes whispering and reviving Elijah, look at what we get to read next. It says this, Then a voice said to him, What are you doing here, Elijah? 
He replied, I have been very zealous for the Lord Almighty. The Israelites have rejected your covenant, torn down your altars, and put your prophets to the death with the sword. I am the only one left, and now they're trying to kill me too. Wait, what? The same question with the same answer? What are we doing here? you get, you got to begin to wonder, like, has anything changed at all? Did the whisper of God do anything, make any difference? Would this just be a merry-go-round of a question and answer and a question and a whisper for the remainder of eternity? What else could God do other than whisper his spirit into this heart, in his soul? It seems like Elijah was stuck in his head. Have you ever been there? But God knew that there's something so important in restoring us and restoring Elijah in the middle of this uncharted health. So look what he says after the same question and response happens. Look in verse 15. It says, the Lord said to him, go back the way you came and go to the desert of Damascus. When you get there, anoint Hazel, king over Aram. Also anoint Jehu, son of Nimshi, king over Israel, and anoint Elisha, son of Shaphat, from Abel Meholai, to succeed you as a prophet. Jehu will put to death any who escaped the sword of Hazel, and Elisha will put to death any who has escaped the, Lord, the sword of Jehu. Yet I reserve 7,000 in Israel, all whose knees have not bowed down to Baal, and whose mouths have not kissed him. God looks at Elijah and knows that he is rested, that he is recharged, and that he is revived. But there is one more critical thing he had to do, one more step. And it's time for him to re-engage, re-engage. God gets Elijah moving back onto what he had designed him and called him to do. He didn't call him to hide in a mountain and feel sorry for himself the rest of his life. He called him to be a voice to this world to be a prophet, to share with everyone about the love of God and also warn them of things that were, they were doing that were wrong. God knew that to get Elijah out of his head, he needed him to re-engage. He needed him to head back to where he belonged. God tells Elijah, he says, hey, get up off this mountain. You need to go anoint some kings. You need to go find Elijah. He's going to take over for you. You need to get to work. In short, God is saying, Elijah, go live. Go live. Go live the life I've given you and I have called you to live. There's some listening to this today that need to hear God telling you it is time to get back to living. It's time to re-engage. Yes, rest. Yes, recharge. Yes, revive. But it is time to get back to what I've created you to be. Listen to Paul's words in Ephesians 2. He says, for we are God's handiwork created in Christ Jesus to do good works, which God prepared in advance for us to do. My friends, listen to me. God loves you right where you're at, in your pain, in your anxiety, in your depression, in your confusion. God loves you. And he loves you so much that he doesn't want to see you stay there. He gave you a purpose. He gave you passion in this life. He has called you to live. So I say this as a pastor that loves you. And who just believes that there are some here today, some joining us online that need to hear what I'm about to say. And I say this with love. It is time to get past the hurtful comments of people you thought cared about you and re-engage. It's time to move on from the divorce that was so painful and so, so, so hurtful. And it's time to re-engage. It's time to get moving on from the job loss and re-engage. It is time to move on from the expectations of your parents and re-engage. Students, listen to me. It is time to understand, students, that the school year is going to be different. But listen to me. You got this. 
You got this. It is time to re-engage wherever you might be at. It is time to re-engage. That is what God had to tell me. He had to tell me to get me off of my pity blanket. He says, you got to re-engage. I've called you to do something. So lead and lead as best as you can, flaws and all. It is time to re-engage. No matter what we are going through, God is calling us to rest and to recharge and to revive, but also to re-engage. Because only he, only he could do those things in our life. As the psalmist says in Psalm 94, 19, when anxiety was great within me, your consolation brought me joy. Brought me joy. But God also tells us something else, that we were never to do this alone, that this life is to be lived out with people. One of the hardest things about this whole time and this whole COVID thing has been the loss of contact. At first, it was kind of like a nice vacation, but, but we weren't meant to be alone this long. So my prayer is that through all of this, that we can value community that much more. One of the biggest ways to combat mental illness, physical illness, and anything else that you might be going through in this life is when you have people around you to tackle it with. I pray that even though things might look uncharted in this life, we can tackle them together, whether we are weak or whether we are strong. I love what the... Uh, the theologian Dietrich Bonhoeffer once said, he says, every Christian community must realize that not only do the weak need the strong, but also that the strong cannot exist without the weak. The elimination of the weak is the death of fellowship. So good. We need to hear, we need to hear that and we need each other. Which is why I want you to hear this over anything else that I say today. More than anything else, I want you to hear these words. That together we can recover. Together, we can recover. When it, when it comes to our uncharted health, we need to remember we're never alone. Don't get stuck in your head like Elijah. Don't go down dark rabbit trails. You have no business going down. Stay connected with each other. Talk with each other. Seek God with each other. Let God's truth penetrate all those areas of doubt and anxiety and worry and fear. Make sure that you rest. Make sure that you recharge. Make sure that you revive. Make sure that you re-engage. But do it together. Together we can recover. But we must do it together. If you've discovered Jesus and this ministry has helped you follow him fully, join us in reaching others by partnering with us today. You can give through our Crossroads app or at crossroadsgrace.org give. Thank you for listening and remember to subscribe to enjoy more messages like this. Now go and follow him fully.